or study the false Jesus of these other religions, why it is a worthy use of time. And then last week we spent time on the false Jesus of Mormonism and uh, what there is to learn from that about our Jesus and then how we can defend and discuss uh, the correct Jesus, the one true Jesus to Mormons. Today we're getting into Jehovah's Witnesses and then last, the last one of this series will be next week when we get into uh, the false Jesus of Islam. Uh, but uh, let's start today's Sunday School off with some prayer and then we'll get into some review. Father God, I am blessed to be here before you as I know are my brothers and sisters. Lord, we are here desiring to know more about you not just to have head knowledge, not just to know trivia, or um, even to predict uh, questions that might be asked by um, those we're trying to evangelize to, Lord, but ultimately we are here to learn more about you so that we can become more like you, so that we might resemble the behavior, actions, and holiness of Christ Lord, and we pray that that will be the result of today, that we will learn more about the Christ who is the whole being of our salvation, Lord. The whole entirety of our salvation is Christ. It is not us in any part. It is not any actions done by anyone else, Lord. We can take no credit. And I pray that today we see how much more uh, we ought to love Christ for what he has done and how we can uh, shepherd away and keep away the false li the lies about uh, Jesus from other others outside of us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, you can see in the review here, we're not, we're not going to read those passages. And in general today, um, as the mic's going around, what you'll see is I've tried to bold the passages that we will read um, because all of the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, the, the sections I have for Jehovah's Witnesses, I put the uh, source on the, under the very first uh, one, which is jehovahswitness.org, what we believe, their section. But I I'm just copying and pasting their belief statements from their website in, and in them, they list a bunch of scriptures. We are not going to read all of what they list, um, we're going to read some of them. Uh, so in general, as the mic goes around, when you see uh, a passage uh, in bold, that means that's, that's coming up next. You'd want to flip to that passage. Um, but uh, in our review, I have here, uh, last, for last week, we covered um, the false Jesus of Mormonism. But ultimately, the things to remember to be able to refute Mormonism, you'll see uh, today that this will uh, as well address many uh, these passages and these topics will address many of the um, lies from Jehovah's Witness as well. But it's that first, Jesus has the same being and essence with the Father and is fully God. And we, I put one of the, the few verses we looked at there. We are justified by the work of Christ alone and not a single bit from our works. And then Jesus always was and had no cause. He was not created, but is the creator. And then test everything against scripture. So if you didn't leave, if you left last week and did not feel as though 
uh, you can remember if you're like, oh, it's already been a week, what were the things that Mormonisms, Mormons believe about Jesus and you can't remember that, I'm okay with that. What I hope is these four things are clear for you and you know where to go. You have a reference point in scripture for the stance and for the position um, that we hold, um, which is um, in scripture. So that way, at least when a Mormon or anyone else, regardless of the banner of the religion um, that they are under, that when they come and either attack Jesus or question you, or ask questions, and you have the opportunity to evangelize, you should have some references, some places to go to help you out. Uh, because um, God's pretty good in his scriptures about telling it like it is, and as long as you know those references, you have a place to start, and you can um, open up the conversation. So again, you'll hear me over and over, this is not as much about Mormonism, or Jehovah's Witness, or Islam, as it is what are the things to be aware of, and how do we get to Christ? How do we get to the true Christ? Okay, let's start off with um, Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, uh, Jesus is not God. So this is copied out of the Jehovah's Witness um, website. We worship the one true and almighty God, the creator whose name is Jehovah. He is the God of Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. We follow the teachings and example of Jesus Christ and honor him as our savior and as the son of God. Thus, we are Christians. However, we have learned from the Bible that Jesus is not almighty God and that there is no scriptural basis for the Trinity doctrine. John 14, 28. So we're gonna, we're gonna get into that. Um, if you've evangelized to Jehovah's Witnesses before and you get into a Trinity discussion, which hopefully you do because you're talking about Jesus. Um, this passage has been referenced uh, many a time, and I want to make sure we get into this and address it and address um, the lies being said here. Uh, can the, uh, whoever has the microphone, can you read John 14, 28, just John 14, 28 for us? You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Okay. Man, talk about plucking a verse completely out of context. But okay, Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Um, I ended up, at first I was, I was starting to write something uh, addressing this, and then I read this portion out of a commentary on John by D.A. Carson, and I think he just, he says it much, much better than I would and much more eloquently. Um, whoever has the microphone, would you be willing to read the, uh, I'm sorry if I've done you one dirty here, Wayne, would you read the quote from D.A. Carson um, in that paragraph under John 14, 28, denies the Trinity, question mark? If Jesus' disciples truly loved him, they would be glad that he's returning to the Father, for he is returning to the sphere where he belongs, to the glory he had with the Father before the world began, to the place where the Father is undiminished in glory, unquestionably greater than the Son in his incarnate state. To this point, the disciples have responded emotionally, entirely according to their perception of their own gain or loss. If they had loved Jesus, they would have perceived 
that his departure to his own home was his gain and rejoiced with him at the prospect. All right, so if we zoom out of just, instead of just plucking one verse out of John 14, and we look at this, this section, you even might even see the header for me in the ESV, it says, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking about him leaving, and we have the disciples saying, no, no, say it isn't so, right? This, the earthly, uh, humanly sorrow of loss, of losing um, a friend, loved one, and the Christ on earth, but Jesus is trying to get them to see the bigger picture. It is good for you that I go. The Holy Spirit is coming. Um, and you even see in verse 18, you see this comforting. Um, in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Okay, so this is about him leaving uh, in John 14. And then uh, further down um, in John 14, uh, before verse 28, it says in verse 25, these things I have spoken to you, while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you your remembrance, or bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So again, before verse 28, Jesus is saying, don't let your hearts be troubled, do not be afraid. And then in verse 28, you heard me say, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. So even before this, we can see, okay, there's a, there's a focus here that Jesus is focusing on giving calming presence, right? Is, is encouraging the saints who are being left behind, the disciples who are being left behind. And so this idea then of, well, what is greater of the Father is greater than I? Well, Jesus is now incarnate, and he is talking about going to the eternal glory, being seated at the right hand of the Father. So let's take a look at some of these passages. Um, I think the most clear one is gonna be in a Philippians 2, 5 through 11. We can see the glory and significance of where Jesus left, okay, not where he left, and um, subsequently what would then be being spoken of in John 14. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wonderful, thank you. So we even see there, we see the language, okay, two key pieces there. Jesus did not see equality with God to be grasped, to be held onto. He gave that up to come to earth. And then we specifically have the language, he humbled himself. Now, he is fully God and fully man. So he is still fully God. And yet he humbled himself by taking on human flesh and coming down to earth. And so when we see in John 14, so for ourselves, 
right? This is a way where maybe we can have this discussion with someone. Um, but even for ourselves, for our own confidence, when you have someone quote to you John 14, 28, and say, Jesus says, I'm going to the Father who is greater than I, it is because he is going back to the equality with the Father. He is going back um, to be in eternal glory um, as he was from the beginning. Uh, let's look now at Luke 22:66 through 71. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Okay, and then whoever has the mic, um, go ahead and get ready with, at Daniel seven thirteen through 14. Um, here, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man and being seated in the right hand of power. And we'll see this building from this, which is him referencing being the fulfillment of Daniel 7, 13, and 14. And then we'll go into um, our Revelation 5 passage. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and, king, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, so we have this kingdom, peoples, and nations given to him, the Son of Man, who we just saw in Luke, Jesus claimed himself to be, and then Revelation 5, let's see what is done to this king, um, to, this, uh, to this king over these people. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads of and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to, wor to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea, earth and the sea, and all of that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. What do we have going on here? What is this scene? The throne room. What? Grab the mic. It's the throne room. Yeah, but what are they doing? 
You're not here? It's, yeah, I said there, it's the very last word of that whole passage. Fell down and worshiped. There's worship going on of someone who's not God for the Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witness better be expecting the judgment and condemnation of Jesus if someone other than Almighty God is being worshiped. This is clearly a problem, clearly a problem. Christ very distinctly in Luke 22 refers to himself as the son of man and not, not the only one, but that he speaks about it coming down in, or going up in glory. And then we have uh, in Acts, we have the confirmation that that happens, which is the fulfillment of Daniel 7. We see that he, this, the one who ransoms, and if you even look at the Jehovah's Witness website and they talk about Christ and they talk about salvation, they use the word ransom, he ransomed, um, uh, uh, he ransomed us. They use similar language because they're, they're pulling from Scripture. But Jesus is being worshipped. He is worthy of worship. We're distinctly told he is worthy of worship. And yet, for if Jesus is not God, you shall worship no other God besides me. So we should have not only confidence, but I would say this would be where I would want to know to them. How, how do you worship how, do you, how is it that God would allow in the heavenly court the worship of someone other than God, if he is not God, right? And so um, we can see distinctly, besides the other passages we covered last week, he, not only is Jesus God, but we can see here um, that the acknowledgement from the heavenly beings, not just the Pharisees and their acknowledgement of Jesus as God. So I would say, no, John 14, 28 does not deny the Trinity. Okay, point number two, Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus, does not save from hell, but from non-existence. Okay, so um, this is again out of their um, what we believe statements. People who die pass out of existence. They do not suffer in a fiery hell of torment. God will bring billions back from death by means of a resurrection. However, those who refuse to learn God's ways after being raised to life will be destroyed forever with no hope of a resurrection. Okay, so it is more of a annihilationism or uh, a lot of, almost closer to what naturalists and what we would expect to hear from them, which is when you die, you die, you, there's nothing. The only hope is life and not eternal nothingness. Uh, and whoever has the microphone, please turn to John 5, 25 through 29. And the significance of this isn't, isn't to say, I don't want to spend my time in a discussion with a Jehovah's Witness trying to convince them that hell is real. That is not what I'm trying to do. And yet, when you diminish what their Jesus is able to do, the significance of his sacrifice and what he is capable and powerful enough to do is diminished. So they have a lesser Jesus, right? It is not a true Jesus. Um, let's look at John 5, uh, 25 through 29. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and it is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear the will live. For as the Father has, has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and come out those who will and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life 
and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Okay, so there is a resurrection for judgment, a resurrection to judgment. So um, you do not get to uh, escape judgment by being dead and not having been saved or not having um, been saved, uh, not having behaved, we'll see in a moment, uh, it comes back down again to a works-based faith. But, not on, but we, we see here, it's clear, it's, it's the other way around. It's, no, you're getting raised whether you want to or not. You will really wish you were not being raised, but you will be resurrected to judgment or to eternal glory, right? To be in the glory of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Elements that I would think about when then evangelizing and talking with others um, is what, like how practically I would use this versus, let's say, Mormonism, is that uh, actually, and maybe both of them would have elements of this, is we don't want to lead with, your, to avoid hell, let me tell you about this Jesus, right? That would be a, a, maybe a place that, that would be a bit of a pitfall with a Jehovah's Witness. I think the temptation. So what, you, what I wouldn't want to spend my time doing is trying to prove the existence of this eternal destruction so that I could then say, so you can now avoid it, right? And instead, start with the gospel of Jesus, right? And teach about Jesus, teach what the true Jesus is, as we've discussed, the, the deity, the true God, one true God that Jesus is part of, the Trinity. And then as you disciple and progress them, you need to understand the significance of his sacrifice and what he has done. And that includes salvation, we'll see in a moment, is faith alone, not works in any way. And we will see, uh, or and the eternal destruction that we are um, saved from uh, by the true Jesus. So please, uh, whoever has the mic, read John 3:16 through 20. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. If you are not, you are condemned if you are not of the light. Jesus came into the world to save those who are in the light, those who have been um, chosen. Okay, on the back side of your page, if you flip it over, uh, this gets into a big one uh, as well. Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus does not believe, uh, does not save by faith alone. So underlined here, we have a question under their uh, kind of FAQs of belief, um, where it says, is belief in Jesus all that we need to be saved? No. Although we must believe in Jesus to gain salvation, more is required. The Bible says, just as the body without the spirit, without spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. To be saved, we must learn about Jesus and his father, Jehovah. 
build faith in them, demonstrate our faith by obeying their commands. Jesus taught that not everyone who called him Lord would be saved, but only those doing, his will, doing the will of, uh, of his Father who is in, he- in the heavens. Continue to demonstrate our faith despite hardships. Jesus made, clear, made that clear when he said, the one who has endured to the end will be saved. All right. Jesus does a lot, but you got to bring a little bit of your good works to the equation, right? You got to mix the cocktail to be able to get the ultimate um, summation of salvation, right? The, they believe that the endurance you have to endure so that Jesus will save you. You then also have to um, demonstrate this faith by obeying commands, right? Demonstrating faith, and then. Um, uh, that uh, where was it? And uh, uh, spirit, uh, the body without spirit is dead. So also faith without works is dead. Okay. So their belief is that um, when frequently plucked out of James two passage, that faith and works, right? They go together. Not that works follows faith, but they go together. And I think what I'm hoping you're hearing in some of this is there's a lot of overlap with the lies that come from Mormonism. You need to have a little bit of good works yourself. You need to come with this. If, if uh, the lies of the devil, when it says, is belief in Jesus all that we need to be saved? And the answer, no, uh, we have a problem, right? But then think about this even with, within then evangelical mainstream thought process. If you ask the average American who thinks, says I'm a Christian, right? well, I need to be a good person, I need to do these good things, right? It is a works-based faith. Um, let's look at Romans 3, 21 through 31. Sorry, this is a bit longer, but it's just, it's on, it's, it's on the nose. It's got it all for us. So Romans 3, 21 through 31. Do you want me to read it? Whoever has the microphone. Okay. Yeah. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over for former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of, the, of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Okay, we got the whole thing right there. The whole thing just laid out so clearly. It is, uh, we have no boasting. No, but by the law of faith, for we hold that one is justified by faith 
apart from works of the law. But yet Paul, praise the Lord, continues on in what could be an exposition of James 2, says, do we then overthrow the law? right? So the outcome and outpouring of faith, the result of faith is law. And so there is nothing we bring to this. Um, to secure that justification, upholding the law is a result of a changed heart that comes from having been justified. Second uh, Corinthians 5.11, whoever has the microphone. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to, to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I may test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your, your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Okay. So we see here the connection between forgiveness and being calling out, talking about the significance of Christ's forgiveness and the designs of Satan in which he's trying to outwit us. Jehovah's Witness will have Bibles. They, they have their own translation that they believe is less, uh, that they believe is better than the majority of translations. But they're going to pull from scripture, right? They're going to pull familiar words and phrases. They're, you see these statement of faith, these statements of faith, where they where they are uh, more tactical or uh, better at their tactics than Mormons, is that they have scripture laid throughout this. They have references to scripture laid throughout this and throughout their statements of faith. And yet we should know this is a clear and devious historical tactic and design of the adversary. Accuse, accuse, accuse. We're going to look at Revelation um, 12, 10, and 11. Let's look at the tactic of the adversary in Revelation 12, 10 through 11. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, and the power and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ have done, have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. So here we have the adversary, the accuser thrown down, but he accuses them day and night. All the adversary wants to do is get you to step off a little bit. Did Jesus really say? Did God really say? If our salvation, if works are part of our securing our salvation, Christ is 99.9%, .9%, but we bring that 0.1 of faithfulness, well, guess what? We're sinners. Then I can accuse you 
accuse you. Look what you've done. Look what you, how terrible you are. You are not worthy of salvation, right? This is what he has been from the beginning. He has been a liar and an accuser. And so if your salvation is based on you in any way, we see the tactic is to convince you you are not worthy of salvation, and then beyond that, then, that you deserve destruction and the evils that lie within. It can be really difficult to pick out the evil that's in front of you when Jehovah's Witness theology is being told to you or someone's coming at your door. And we have to be careful because there is, at least for me, I've more often been approached by a sweet lady in a little bit older in years and she's there, she looks very, she's wearing very humble garments and she is spending her Saturday knocking on doors to do this. And so you have the opportunity to discuss and yet, I'm not saying that she is the adversary, but the false doctrine, the false gospel should be accursed. It is a false gospel. Now they need to be saved from it, just like all of us need to be saved from the false gospels of our heart. And so we, it is a opportunity to evangelize. But we have to be really careful with this equivocation that happens by claiming Jesus, claiming scriptures. Everything is really, really close, but just a little bit step off. Okay, on the critical elements of our faith. This, these things are salvific issues about whether or not your works can get you into heaven, even a little bit, right? And whether or not Jesus is God. It is the salvific issue, right? And so what we need to be careful of is not only noticing that these are works of the adversary, but we also need to then have the other side, which is we were, we were once enemies of God as well. We should have a heart for these folks and be willing to go there and discuss the deity of Christ. And even better, for those of you who maybe have said, oh man, I've been praying, Lord, I just wish you would make it clear how I could have an opportunity to evangelize. My guess is maybe at least once a week you drive by some person sitting there with a tray, sitting there, right, that they're Jehovah's Witnesses. I know they're at my library every single Saturday. Different set of two every single Saturday. Okay? I've only gotten to talk to one multiple times. I'm like, ah, you guys are rotating. I don't know if this is good or bad. Um, you have them at the street corner. They're at my mall. They're at the, um, the shopping center, Norterra Shopping Center, sitting out there on the street corner, right? They are literally asking for you to come and talk to them about God. Now, it can be tough. It can be difficult. But if you're asking and been praying, Lord, please make it clear where I can evangelize, and you walk up somewhere, and sure enough, they're there. Or God does you the favor of having them knock on your door so that they can be welcomed into your house and you can open up the word of God. Okay, it's there. It's there. And I think there's opportunity, probably even more than Mormons, for these folks. Because Mormons, not only have they been pumped out of an academy with these young men, once they figure out, ooh, you're one of those, they take you off the list. They stop coming to your house, right? And so once you've had one of those discussions, they stop coming. Jehovah's Witnesses, they make the mistake of sitting out in public, right? Out in public to go talk to, okay? Go share the love of Christ. Hand them a water bottle. Encourage them with the truth, right? Show them the truth of the divinity of Christ. And so um, I would encourage us uh, to consider how we approach Jehovah's Witnesses carefully, thinking through the, some of these key aspects. But at the end of the day, again, out of all these Sunday schools, if you take away nothing, you need to share with them 
Christ, just as you need to share with them, share your, with your children Christ. It is not about what the watchtower teaches or what are the practices, the 144,000 or that they believe Jesus it did get become king and seated at the right hand in 1914 AD, right? These are not the things that I want to spend my time talking about with the Jehovah's Witness. I want to talk about Christ because he's the only thing that can save them. Okay, um, so I would encourage us to consider approaching them, and when you are approached, be aware of where you're likely going to need to engage. And when they try to go into the periphery and go to the focus here, here, let's just agree to disagree. No, I do not agree to disagree, okay? Let's talk about God, let's talk about Christ. Okay, we have eight minutes for questions, comments um, on this. I think these uh, classes have been so helpful for me to remember not to um, engage in what they believe, what I know, what um, scripture says, apart from giving them the gospel. That is huge for me. Um, and. Um, just remembering that God put them in my path for a reason. And I usually, when somebody, when I'm approached or whether they come to my home, whatever it is, I, I usually panic and <laughs> I go, I am going to mess it up for you, Lord. And I think the key is being prayed up ahead of time and um, looking to the Lord to uh, just a reminder that it's the gospel. It's him. It's uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And, and it's crazy how um, scripture can be so twisted um, to sound right. And so honing in, keeping it tight. It's, a, it's about Christ and him crucified. Amen. Thank you. And I, I would add um, something I, I want to mention, too, is um, uh, you, are, you can have graciousness in all of this, and I would hope you do in that you're talking about Christ. I would encourage as well, consider using the word Jehovah when talking with them, right? We use the word Yahweh here, um, but I think... You're absolutely right, which is um, as soon as you count on your own wits and your own ability to outsmart and I'm going to be calm, cool, and collected, that's tough. But if you, you know, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. So if I prepare instead and go, what are my scriptures that tell me Jesus is God? That's good for me to know, period. PJ needs to know that. But then beyond that, okay, I need to know at least the references so when I'm in that moment, okay, don't look at me, look at my Bible, right? Look to the words of God. Um, and so I would say, like, you're absolutely right, which is you're laying up your prayers in advance, you're preparing, so when it happens, 
um, were ready. And I think the steps forward to this are a lot simpler than maybe we build it up for ourselves, or at least I know I have, which is this daunting, I need to know a lot of things, I need to be boom, boom, boom. Hey, did you know you Watchtower taught this, your leaders in the past did this, they're false prophets here. No, I simple. Start with, if you're beginning to evangelize for the first time, regardless of who you're evangelizing to, start with a few key scriptures that can go and be the defense of your faith. Yeah, go for it. Um, I know one thing that I've used before and has been helpful. We know all of scripture points towards Christ. And I know, I can imagine that they have heard the John 1, 1 to 4 stuff and have a prepared, you know, defense of their own. But just kind of an alternate way to think of things um, in Acts chapter 14, um, you have Paul and Barnabas that heal a crippled man. And the, the people there, how they respond, um, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in like Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And so um, just the idea that um, others, you know, in this case, an apostle and also Barnabas, that when somebody, when they got a whiff of being treated as a god, the they responded by saying, what are you doing? Absolutely not. And Christ never responded that way. He said many of the scriptures that, that we just read, which was, you know, that pointing to the fact that he was God. And um, um, so it's just a, another um, just analogy picture of how there is a clear distinction between all of those um, that follow Christ and, and what Christ said about himself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you are right. They do have their own defense for um, John 1, 1 through 4. Their um, stance is that a, the word is a good message. He's a good messenger with a good message. You see the word of the Lord came throughout scripture and it is a message. And so I, I do agree that um, some of these things, right, like they're, they're preparing them to evangelize. They're they're prepping them for this, and you will get discussions. And um, so the more places in Scripture you can go to point out Christ, the deity of Christ, um, the better, um, and get them, frankly, out of the, some of the most familiar tracks, probably, of discussion and debate. Any other comments? Or Okay, we got Brandon, we got, and we got uh, Glenda. Um, talking about John 1, I was listening to Dr. James White, and he was talking about Jehovah's Witnesses, and they translated as, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a was with God, and He was a God. And I just want, I found this helpful because I didn't know this before, so I thought I'd share. Like, that's a manipulation and a false manipulation of the Greek, 
and they will actually try to tell you that that's what the Greek really says and they'll like get into it. So like don't get caught off guard by that. And then also they don't translate it that way in other parts of John. Yeah. So you can point them to the fact that, hey, you're actually defeating your own argument because and you, like, you like take their own Bible and be like, well, it says this here and you don't apply the Greek the same way there. So you're wrong. You know, so yeah. And I, not just to have the slam of you're wrong, but just to point out like, no, this is a deception. This is a this is a smokescreen to try to jam you with like, yeah, see, there it is. There it is right there in your own Bible. And you're like, no. <laughs> yeah. So. I, no, I appreciate that. And I um, you're you're absolutely right. And. Um, the challenge typically when trying to go what I would say is to the next step, which is when they come to you with questioning your scriptures and saying, well, see, you're actually wrong. Going back to them with language, I think, is fantastic. Um, if you have the, the deafness in the app and an ability to pull up some of the original language for them, I think is wise. Um, and uh, I can picture the very interactions um, you start getting into mon- monogenases, and I can't remember. I haven't taken Greek yet. But I do. I would say it is a thing in general to be aware of, which is when you evangelize with anybody, use your own Bible. <laughs> use your own Bible. Right. Helpful. Yes. Um, I've always wondered, been curious, um, that faith alone isn't enough. There's some works. And so my question to them or to anyone who believes that there's some works is how much is enough? And so perhaps asking them that, how much is enough so that you know, do you, are you sure then that you'll have eternal salvation? They won't be able to answer that. And so I always pray after that, God, I pray that that's a seed that's been planted, that maybe when they get home, they'll think about that and wonder. I love that. I think that's fantastic. And what I would um, encourage, you didn't exclude this, but I would encourage is make sure you get them to not just the question, make sure you tell them the answer, right? Christ says, and if you want to go to Romans 3, it is by faith alone, right? And give them the gospel with it. But I agree with you that the nagging question that when they, in their moment of defensiveness and maybe even pride, they're fighting you, they're trying not to seem foolish, they walk away and they're laying on their pillow at night, the thing that nags and picks, 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 how much is enough? How do I be one of the 144,000? Um, how, how much is enough? Wait a minute, she did point out something in Romans 3. Let me go read that again. Um, so I think that's a fantastic question and then always we don't wanna just leave them with questions, we also wanna give them the answer, uh, which is Christ. Gary, you have something? All right, this will be our last comment. Okay. Uh, to your point about make sure you use your own Bible, okay? The New World Translations, the first edition was in 1960, I believe. So before that, they actually used the Bible, but that's why they created the Awake and the, uh, what's the other one? Watchtower. Uh, the what? Watchtower. Oh, Watchtower. Uh, tower to... Uh, fill in the gaps in their belief that 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 they found uh, errors in scripture. So if they want to use the New World's uh, translation, it's that's it's not even considered a translation by uh, most people. 
Yeah, and I, I, I would say out of by pretty much everyone outside of Jehovah's Witness, I agree. And yet, that is likely um, all they, they have, right? And so, when you evangelize, it's this difficult, right? So, uh, it's this difficult balance between I need to be aware of what's going on. I want to use my own scripture um, that I trust and know is true. And at the same time, uh, you're likely going to have to get them flipping in what they have. And uh, praise the Lord that even through um, lies and manipulation, God can save as long as they've heard the gospel. So um, great points. Thanks, Gary. All right, I'm going to pray, and uh, then we'll prepare ourselves for worship. God the Father, we come before you thanking you for the Son. He did not see equality with you as something to be grasped, to be held onto. Instead, he humbled himself, coming down to the earth, becoming incarnate, ministering to people, saving them, healing them, testifying to your glory. And yet, as we have confirmed with our own sin, we did not want him. We crucified him, Lord. And yet, when he did it, he did not do it. He did not, his body did not see corruption. He did not do this in eternal disgrace. No, Lord, it was for the vindication of of our souls, Lord. It is for his vindication, our, the salvation of our souls, and we thank you for this. I pray that as we share the gospel with others and give defense of the hope within us, Lord, that the result is not, uh, that the resulting um, focus from us is not on the outcomes of what we can see, on whether or not they say to us, yes, now I'm a believer. Lord, I pray instead that we are encouraged by just faithful obedience and remembering and having said out loud yet again the truth of the gospel, Lord. I pray for this morning's worship service as we say the truth of the gospel together, as we're taught the truth of the gospel, and as we worship you and your Son and the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we will be glorifying you in the way in which we do it. It is in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.